Hello and welcome. This is Christianity, the backstory. Looking between the lines of church history and the New Testament. Okay, we're inside St Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Newcastle, Australia. This is actually the church on the picture that I put up for the podcast. One of the two churches just down the road from where I live that I wanted to first approach for an interview. I'm with Tim Ravenhall, the Reverend here. Hi, Tim. Reverend's a, hi, Reverend's a funny <laughs> term, isn't it? Yeah. Did you take that on board? Is that what you call yourself? Uh, you know, if I usually write it on letters, letterheads, because um, people make sense of that, but I hate the term because um, it feels like that it's means revered okay and that's yeah. ridiculous yeah. yeah but other than that yeah i i think that's right that's the general perception okay <laughs> yeah mm. uh thanks for agreeing to the interview and thanks for trusting me with this trusting me with your words it's taken me a while to get the first interview uh understandably there's been a lot of interest sorry there hasn't been a lot of interest um, the last response i got was from a priest of the Catholic Church, and he replied with the words, I kindly decline. There's been a few replies like that, but mostly uh, just no reply. You had some reservations. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, uh, you know, uh, one guy, his name's Oliver O'Donovan, and he said, if you want to get things done, stay as far away from any media stuff as possible. And I think, yeah, that's generally right. And I think the reservation is you don't know if you're going to be treated fairly or justly once you put your words on an electronic device that they can be kind of altered or little sound bites of what you said, but not the whole context come yeah. out. And so you're left looking like a goose. But actually, you know, I'm, I actually don't, in some sense I thought about this and I thought I don't, I don't really mind if I look like a goose. You know, that's part of the nature, you know, um, God saves gooses and I'm happy to be yeah. a goose at one okay. level. Yeah. But you don't want your words to be misconstrued? I don't really, know. No, no one does, do they? Yeah. No one does. But if it happened, yeah. if it happened, I would say, well, you know, that's my fault. I, um, I've got to live with that. Yeah. No, I assure you that I won't <laughs> be doing that. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll see. Um, so at the time you hadn't listened to the podcast... When we spoke, oh, sorry, I haven't said it yet. We we met for a coffee and we had a good conversation. Um, it's been really good to meet you, Tim. I've really enjoyed our talks. We just had another debate. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yep, yeah. debate conversation. Yeah, we agree to disagree, but we had some interesting uh, discussions. That's for sure. I had a friend this morning actually that texted me and he said, "Hoping your podcast brings peace to you and not bitterness to God." Now that you've listened to some of the podcasts, do you feel this is a positive thing or a negative thing? Oh, look, it's... Um, yeah, so I think it's always good to be um, open to um, critique. I, I think, it, you know, if you're not open to critique, that's a problem. Um, it means probably that uh, we tend to hide behind things when we're not open to critique. And I think, you know, it's fair totally fair for any 
any religion really to come under critique. Yeah, so I think from that perspective, it's a good thing. I'm a belie- I, I believe what I believe because, I guess, of a, a very powerful subjective experience of God convicting me uh, of things in my life, but not simply that, but actually showing me how much he loved me. So I don't think anyone, I don't, at the end of the day, my personal experience is, and I think everyone's experience is, if you're going to, if you end up subscribing to a particular religious belief, something usually happens that's not necessarily an objective, oh, here's all the, you know, all the ducks line up, therefore this is true, therefore, and that can happen like that, but, but even then, the point at which you cross the line into that religious belief the, the moment you actually enter into that, something's happened that's, I think, outside of you. Right. So, from that perspective, I think, well, God does what he wants and even if I think, oh, this podcast is leading in, going in a direction that I don't agree with, mm-hmm. I think if I believe in a God who created the universe, he's bigger than that, you know, that, that's really an omniscient. Okay, cool. Anyway, we're not here to go deep at all. Uh, Plain and simple, the short answer, down to the essentials. So the first question, what is Christianity, a definition? Uh, Christianity is the commitment of a person to the belief that Jesus is the Messiah Uh, the king of Israel, and I guess being a Christian is being a follower of the Christ, and the Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah, uh, anointed one, king, someone who follows him. I think at the heart of Christianity is probably, you know, Oh well, yeah. I guess that's right. So it's not a, it's not following a rule book or a guidebook of. Or here is, it's not saying, oh, here is what Jesus said, I'm just going to do those things. Christianity is claiming a living relationship with the person of Jesus, saying that the Messiah is alive and well and I follow him. Okay. So it's a personal relationship rather than a set of, you know, particular doing, only doing stuff. Yeah. It's... It's listening to Jesus, trying to live out your life, obeying him, but knowing that you're not obeying a rule book, but you're in relationship with a person. Okay. So you've sort of defined Christian more than Christianity there. Do you see Christianity Mm. as a religion, as a different, something that can be separated from what a Christian is? Do I see Christianity as something separated like the meaning of the word, uh, you've got Christian and what a Christian is. A Christian is the sort of thing you describe. Yeah, right. Christianity uh, as a religion. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. I find it hard to separate um, a, a Christian from Christianity. Um, but I suppose... Um, so are you asking, is being a Christian different from Christianity? Well, I suppose I'm just asking for a definition of the word. So... Uh, to me, the definition of Christianity is different to the definition of Christian. A Christian is a follower of, well, you say Jesus, but it's also a follower of 
Christianity, the, the doctrines of Christianity, the belief system. So the question, what is Christianity, uh, to me is different. Oh, well, that might be a broader question. Yeah, it's a very broad question. Okay. I suppose, you know, traditionally um, you know, Christianity takes it that all of the, the books of the scripture that, and that there's some conjecture over what books are scripture, would be authoritative for their life, I would say. Um, so we'd take our cue from, I guess, the inter internally in the scriptures themselves, we'd take our cue from Jesus who, when he, when he speaks of the scriptures, he speaks of them as authority. And so that's the Old Testament. So Jesus speaks authoritatively about the Old Testament scriptures as being the word of God. In the New Testament, uh, people like the um, Apostle uh, Peter, uh, he refers to the other apostolic writings uh, as scripture. So he will say some of the things that the Apostle Paul writes are difficult to understand, as are the other scriptures. And so by inference, uh, it feels like that the, at least looking for an internal argument, that the New Testament writings are inscripturated. Yeah, so because the, the apostles seem to affirm at some level that that's true. Okay. Uh, so yes, we, we, you know, Christianity is, um, I suppose, at one level, treats the uh, those documents as the word of God, as basically what God has revealed of himself to us. Okay. Can you congeal that down? So we're comparing this to uh, the dictionary and encyclopedia definitions of Christianity. Um, the first statements, so just the, the simple, straightforward definition of Christianity. So can you give something that's comparative to that? Uh, Christianity, I suppose... Uh, lives and breathes its life through um, through the scriptures, which we would consider to be both the um, pre-Christ scriptures, as in the 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 law and the prophets and the writings, and the New Testament writings. Okay, so it's it's centered on the writings. Yes, but you know. Yeah, that's right. And I, what, that, what's it mostly about? What's Christianity mostly about? It's mostly about Jesus. But I said that, and you didn't okay. think that was a helpful answer when I talked about the Messiah of Israel and yeah. and committing your and committing to Him at the at the centre of Christianity is that He Jesus, the um, Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Jesus Messiah is Master. Okay. That. I think that probably, um, and it's a giving of our lives in service of him at the centre of Christianity. Do you want to ask the second question now? Or do you want I think to... so. I think we'd better move on to the second question because yeah. that's uh, potentially going to be more involved and the definition was something that was possibly going to be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the second question is, what is the central message of Christianity? Uh, the central message of Christianity, I suppose, is that 
Jesus is first and foremost the um, fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And it's the fulfilment of Israel's national life, I think, is at the heart of Christianity, which means all those um, events, historical events like the, the Passover, where Israel are released from slavery into freedom in Egypt, that event finds its fulfilment in Jesus. So they sacrifice a Passover lamb and that is a a rich symbol of not that Israel deserved their freedom and the Egyptians didn't, but that Israel gained their freedom because something paid for their freedom. And you'll notice when you hit the the Gospels that um, John says, when he sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God. And uh, then Jesus comes to the Passover meal. He says, he redefines that meal in terms of himself and says in Matthew's Gospel, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood. And so he is redefining his national history in terms of what he will do. He will give his life for his people. He will do what um, all of humanity has been unable to do, and that is live a, a sinless, not simply a sinless life, but, but a life that is lived out in the fullness of the image of God. Uh, we turned our back on the living God and failed to do that. The story of Israel shows in a very, a very um, microcosm of the world kind of way what all of humanity is like. We fail to live for God. All through Israel's history are prophetic, great prophetic moments. Uh, Isaiah 53 is one where there is a picture of a guy who is a suffering servant and... Um, There are moments there where it says, by his wounds you will be healed. Um, It is for the transgressions of the people that he dies. Uh, That's a paraphrase, mind you. You can read Isaiah 53 and uh, it's pretty clear. And then Jesus comes along and he says, well, that's me. Jesus quotes the words of Isaiah when he he takes the scroll out of the wall and he says that, um, I can't remember the exact, one it is, but it's uh, he came for the poor and the needy. At the end of it, he says, this scroll has now been fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah. Here am I, uh, the Messiah. And then, you know, uh, all through the Gospels, he keeps saying the Son of... Well, in Mark's Gospel in particular, he says, you know, the Son of Man must die and three days later rise again. He will be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and then he will rise. Uh, His disciples don't understand what he's doing, but obviously at the end of the gospel, uh, Jesus is crucified in Mark's gospel. He's crucified, obviously, in all the gospels, all have that same passion narrative. And um, he does that. And in in Mark 10, he he concretely says, um, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Just so, I just stop you there yeah, for yeah, a sec. yeah, yeah. Um, most people, maybe these days, don't necessarily take the words that are in the Bible or the New Testament in this case, um, in regards to Jesus, and say, if it says it there, it must be true, mm. or um, you know, that that's authoritative. Yep. 
So for you, like you were saying in the in, in the start of this, you take the scriptures and then you look at Jesus. Yep. Um, so this podcast is for uh, any people. Uh, the idea is to present what Christianity is for people who are starting from scratch. One thing that's interesting is when you um, look into Christianity, if you go online or if you look at an encyclopedia, there's just so much information. A lot of people who might academically want to look at Christianity or for various reasons might want to know answers to simple questions, um, there's a flood of information. A lot of people don't want to come to church because they don't want to hear a sermon, but they would like to know some simple facts. So let's say you had one minute to talk to somebody who knew nothing about Christianity and you needed to get the most important message that they need to know for themselves. And if I was to start a stopwatch now... All right. One minute. <laughs> what would you say? Uh, well, yeah, I think one minute's a bit harsh uh, <laughs> because everything has a context. And, you know, I, so I will say to you... Nevertheless, you've got one minute. All right. Um, I would say you're, you're, not a, you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. You're not a good person. We sit under the judgment of the living God because we've rejected him. We've chosen to live our life without him. We've, um, you know, whether we've actually ever said, oh, you know, uh, up yours, God, or not, that's not the point. We've, by our, by just ignoring, you, you don't get up in the morning. I don't get up in, most people don't get up in the morning and thank God for their life, for their day, for their breath. We tend to pretend that God doesn't exist. And so God is angry at humanity and we sit under his judgment. He's the king. He has the right to do with life what he wants because he created us. We're his. We don't, you know, we're not, we're not, we all think we're individuals. Okay, uh, but God loves his creation as well. He, he loves his creatures. He loves his people and he wants to bring them home. We're out of relationship with God. He wants to bring us home to himself. And so he has committed himself to us in the person of Jesus. God came as a man, the incarnate son of God. He came as a, he got himself grubby and dirty. He came as a screaming, howling baby. He had pimples as a teenager. And he showed us what true humanity was like. And then he gave up his life in our place. He became our substitute, his death for ours. So we deserve the death and judgment of God, but God loves us and is committed to his creatures so much that he would invest in us personally by becoming one of us and dying in our place. You deserve death. I deserve death. Jesus takes it upon himself. He dies in our place. Uh, justice is served. Death has been dealt with. The enmity between us and God is over when we put our trust in Jesus, who didn't stay dead but is vindicated and rises from the dead. Okay, so everybody... That's probably more than a minute. That's okay. <laughs> that, that was better, though. So um, this doesn't uh, provide a solution for everybody. You said that those who trust in Jesus, how do people go about trusting in Jesus? Well, at the end of the day, you've got to recognise that um, you're that person. That's not good. What, 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 is, what do we need... What does the person need to do... To trust Jesus. To be one of the people who... Um, receive the benefit and go to heaven. What do you... uh, yeah, yeah, or yeah, or participate in the kingdom of God, whatever that looks like. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so basically, um, I, here, here is just simply what I would do. Um, if I thought it was true that I was a sinful person and I deserved to sit under the judgment of God, and I understood that it was true that Jesus died for me on the cross and took the punishment for my sin, for my rejection of God, upon himself, if I believed that was true, I would get down on my knees, not even on my knees, I would even stand up in the shower or sit on the toilet, doesn't matter, and I would say to God, dear God, I am so sorry for the way I have led my life. I am so sorry that I have been ignoring you my whole life and I am so grateful that you sent your son to die in my place to forgive me for all the rotten um, stuff that I've done, but not simply that, but mainly for my rebellion against you. Uh, thank you for sending Jesus. Amen. And then I would expect that you've become a Christian. Okay, so um, what Jesus has done is not for everybody. It's for certain people who accept it. And what's involved in, in becoming one of those people that accepts it is um, praying that prayer. Is it no, the no, there's no, it, there's no. What is it that makes a person what, move from? Oh, that was just a practical having example. Having a God that's angry at them. Trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Yeah, just saying, just basically saying, yeah, you know what? Trusting in His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. That's it. Um, you may not, you may, you may not necessarily feel like, you know. It, How do you know you're one of the people who trusts in Jesus? That's a great question. I reckon you, for the oddest reason, you, well, not necessarily, I don't think it's odd, but the rest of the world will think it's odd. You just keep believing that story is true. And it's unshakable in you. And it becomes unshakable in you because, uh, and so I will say to people, you know, look, if, you, if this is your story, if you think, yeah, that resonates with me, that's right, that's not you. So trusting in Jesus is... That's, that's is, God. Trusting in Jesus is believing the story. Is that what it's about? Believing the story? Yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, that's right. If you, if you think that story is true and right and, that, um, and you put your trust, then you're not putting your trust in that story, but you are putting your trust in the person of that story, the Messiah. But, so, so believing the right thing means that you go to heaven. Oh, look, yeah, look, there's a Christianity, no doubt, um, defines that there is a, a way to know God. Um, Jesus seems to do that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So, there, yeah, that's right. But I don't think God's been shy about it. I think he's, he's left himself a historical record that is pretty much unchanged for 2,000, uh, for 3,400 3, years. Um, there, it's not as though we've been left in the dark and that God's being unfair here. So, you know, th there's lots of evidence. There's lots of. Is that the same as saying um, if a person has the right opinion, they'll go to heaven? Person has the right opinion. No, no, because um, it's not about opinions. It's about relationship. You said you said trust. Right, trust. trusting in Jesus, Faith. Yep. and then we said we established that that trust was about uh, believing the story, 
believing the, in the per, uh, putting your trust in the person, not believing the story. You don't trust in the look, person. But he, how do you know? Can okay. I ask you how do you how do you know that you're one of those people? You keep believing that story, I suppose. So it is about believing a story. Well, it's not having an opinion. No, it's not your opinion. I'm just trying to sort of yeah. Narrow, no, narrow it's not. It's not exactly about oh, this is just my opinion, therefore I'm okay. It's yeah. It's um, it's because we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. You know, this benefit that is that comes from what Jesus did goes to certain people and not to others. So to really uh, sort of hone in on what exactly it is that distinguishes between people in this regard... Have I not been clear? Uh, I'm just trying to to be clearer. What because would you, you use what, words like trust, but what does that mean? What does that mean? I yeah. think I, I gave a kind of a, an example of... Um, you know, in, in a sense... Um, Defining trust will mean that you, you, will, you will start living out that message. In so it is about what you do as well? Yes, absolutely. Like there's no, there's no sense in which, um, uh, you know, if, if... So what I'm saying is that at that point of belief, wherever that is, and some, sometimes you might not even recognise exactly when along the road that happened you know for me it was a very distinctive moment but at that point at, as you i just think what it is is you know you're you know that you've actually invested your life in the jesus who fulfills all the old testament scriptures you know that you've invested in him because you keep believing that story um if you if you end up saying oh no that's rubbish well i would just say well um then the Spirit of God has not made his home in your heart. Because um, the Apostle Paul puts it, God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so somewhere along the line, you know, so my, look, I, see, this is why I'm nervous about what you, what you say. Oh, so, you, you know, you believe these certain things or, yes, it's true. Um, but I would say my three-year-old could well be a follower of Jesus. When he says to me, hypothetically, I don't have a three-year-old at the moment, when, he, when a three-year-old says to me, I love Jesus, I take their word for it, I don't say, oh, do you understand the atonement? You know, do you understand, do you understand all about... Because I think, it's, I think um, the essence of real faith is actually God knows us, not we know God. So at the heart of it, there's no, there's no, I can't give you um, a technical 10-point plan that you have to kind of do it this way to become a Christian. You'll just, you'll just keep gravitating towards that. You'll just say, oh, yeah, I think that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And so my three-year-old, I, you know, I guarantee as he gets older, will believe the atonement. He'll say, yeah, Jesus died for me if he's really got it. If the Spirit of God rests in him, he'll keep understanding that story and it'll grow as he grows. He'll grow in, into that. Okay, so Jesus died for me, that sounds like a central thing in what you're saying. Yeah, yep. definitely. Where does this teaching come from that Jesus died for our sins? 
Uh, yeah, so it definitely comes from the Old Testament scriptures, first and foremost, because, um, you know, that's how you identify the Messiah, is through the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. That's how you know who you're dealing with in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is identified as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Uh, now, that's not necessarily a Messiah figure at that point, and I think that was, in, in Israel's history, they didn't really know who the suffering servant was, but I think what you get is Just a... Sorry. Does Isaiah describe a someone who dies as a sacrifice for people's sins? Because we're asking, um, where does that teaching come from? Yes, I think he does. Yeah, so he, here's how Isaiah describes the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. Uh, it goes on, but there is the atonement. Mm. It does line up pretty well with it, with the uh, concept. I agree. Yeah. So, so I, I think that um, that and you know the the Passover meal where Jesus reinterprets what happened for Israel when they fled Egypt and reinterprets that himself as, as the, he himself as the Passover lamb. So there is, uh, in the New Testament, there is, what, what teaching would you point to that uh, describes this um, um, sacrifice for sins? Oh, in the New Testament? Uh, I guess there are, in terms of the Gospels themselves, there's not a lot. There's, there's the Passover meal, where Jesus reinterprets the Passover around himself and, say, and says, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's in Matthew's gospel. Um, and then there is uh, Mark 10.45, where Jesus says, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he says that, the son of man is invested with the same picture as the son of man in the book of Daniel. Uh, and he is the one that comes riding on the clouds of heaven. So he's the Old Testament uh, son of man figure, is what he's saying. The one that rides on the clouds of heaven is... And then he says that to the religious leaders as well uh, at his death. And then there's all the rest... Basically, the Pauline letters uh, obviously explore that, explore those gospel intonations and, that, and those Old Testament prophetic moments. Uh, he explores them and un unravels what... Uh, he probably just he restates it, but he restates it very strongly. And Peter does the same thing. Peter says in one Peter uh, about Jesus that he came the righteous one for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So, mm. yeah, the, the whole New Testament I think is wrapped up in that concept of Jesus dying for us and uh, relieving us of the guilt and shame and bringing us back into right relationship with God. Okay. 
So we both know that Paul's teaching, uh, in Paul's letters, we have the, the concept of this sacrifice for sins laid out you know, very clearly. He teaches it uh, overtly and to quite some degree. Um, and you know, you probably know where I'm, what I'm getting at. So my next question is, does Jesus teach it? Does he actually sit down with people and teach this concept? Uh, Jesus, does he teach that? Yeah, well, he does. Um, I think, yeah, so you don't get it as clear, I don't think. But yeah, I definitely think it's there. So um, the whole agenda of Jesus in Luke's gospel, there's a, you can see there's a very powerful travel narrative where Jesus is heading deliberately to the cross for his own crucifixion. So does he teach then that he is the substitute? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you, if, if you take his words seriously at the uh, Passover meal just before his death, that is a pretty bold explanation of what he's doing, he's about to do. And then straight after that meal, he basically is um, arrested and um, taken for his inquisition. Um, yeah, so, and I think, I think, you know, that what I've already said, Jesus' words in Mark's Gospel, 1045, um, he talks about himself as the, the ransom, the one who will give his life as a ransom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to make sense of Jesus saying those things. Um, and along the way, I suppose, it's not, you know, he, he definitely... Um, and he definitely has a very... Jesus has a very strong theology of his own resurrection. Um, and John's gospel is full of that. When he meets the woman at the well, you know, uh, he talks about giving her life and living water when he... when Sorry, that's not the passage that I was looking at, but when he... Um, in John's gospel, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, you know, there he says, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, so you've referred to some uh, sentences he said. Mm. Uh, yes, there are things he said at the uh, Passover meal that, that can be construed to, to work with the concept of sacrifice for sins. But um, there's actually no time when Jesus actually you know, sat down when he was teaching people and uh, outlined this concept. There were two times when he was asked the question what, by somebody who said, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer didn't resemble this concept at all. Why do you think that is? Uh, what was his answer? Because didn't he, um, didn't Jesus um, deliberately go through the fir- go through the second five commandments with that person who said, "I've done all these things. I've done all these things. I've done all these things." And then didn't he say? And then didn't he say um, to that person, right? Go and sell everything you have. Yeah. And wasn't the point not that he didn't come to die for sins, but the point was the 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 idolatry was hidden. This is a man's wealth that was so he went. The man went away sad because he didn't want to give up his wealth. And it's not that Jesus asks everyone, but Jesus says actually, if you want to follow me, you've got to you've got to put me first. You have to count the cost. But it's not that's not the full picture of the story. Yeah, I suppose because we're only dealing with the uh, simple things, uh, the starting points here and not going sort of deep, I'm just putting forward that we both know that Jesus didn't teach this concept at length 
in the same way that Paul does. No, but I think and there's plenty. Of, I think I've given you plenty of examples. Yeah, but <laughs> where, two, where two he was, times, where he was quite adamant about what he was going to do, and yeah, but the two times he was asked the question, the, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus pointed to the Ten Commandments. Uh, he uh, he. But he didn't he told say the obey these. The, the story of the Good Samaritan, a story about somebody who uh, demonstrates their love for another person by helping them. Uh, he didn't give a concept. He didn't teach a concept that talks about having the right idea, believing the right things, um, just about what you think rather than what you do. So it's it's always been a, a big question to me. Why didn't you, if this is the if this is the most important message of Christianity, why didn't Jesus? teach it at length? Why didn't he answer people's questions when they were talking about... Well, I'll ask, I'll ask you a question um, on the same line. Why, why are the um, narratives of the Gospels, why, do they ta- why does the death of Jesus take up over half the book in John's Gospel? Why is the passion and his approaching death that important? Why is it in Luke and Matthew and John and Mark that they are all they all end their gospels they all end the story of Jesus on his death and resurrection if that is not important why do these guys who knew him personally go to the stake over that one well I know you're talking about the the intent of the writer or the reason why they have focused on various things and, and I wasn't there I don't know but we know what they produced and they definitely seem to want to emphasize the death of Jesus and they do seem to have an intent in regards to why he was dying I would agree with that mm. yeah and in terms of Jesus himself he he refers to his own impending death a number of times at least in Mark's gospel it'd be interesting to know I couldn't tell you off the top of my head whether it's in Matthew and Luke as well. I don't think he does so in the same way in John's Gospel. But Jesus, you know, from Mark chapter 8 to the end, and obviously this is crafted by the person who wrote Mark, no doubt. But if they're Jesus' words, the potency of those words still stands, you know, that Jesus um, said, you know, that the Son of Man will be condemned to death will be handed over to the chief priests and the elders and on the third day he'll rise again. And there are three instances of that uh, in very close succession from, I think, Mark 9 to 11. Yeah, and then we don't... It's not, it doesn't come up until he dies. But, um, I, yeah, so I don't, I don't really um, think that... I mean, Jesus, even if... I guess the question might still be, well, OK, so um, where does he talk about that death being a substitution. Um, obviously, I've said a few places that I can remember off the top of my head, but, you know, you might say, well, he doesn't talk about that much. He does talk about dying. But what on earth is he dying for if it's not to save us? If it's not... You're asking my questions better than I have myself. Well, That's good. Thanks. That's all right. <laughs> well, you know, I think, you know, why, why, is, why is this guy saying, I'm going I'm to give my life as a ransom for many... And why do the, um, you know, why do the prophetic moments at his birth talk about the fact that he has come to save Israel? You know, there's uh, Mary's song, um, there's the, the prophetic moments of um, Simeon and Anna yeah. in the temple. And his very name means 
the one who saves his people. Yeah, God saves. It's Joshua. Yeah. That's what he came to do. And, um, you know, that it perfectly fits those Old Testament, you know, like it's pretty hard to get around Isaiah 53, I think. It's just so, that's what this suffering servant will do. Mm. He's the, yeah. uh, the servant of Isaiah. And I think when he unravels the scroll and says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, I can't remember exactly what that says, but that's, yeah. he's saying, I am that, I am that one. Well, I, I yeah. don't know. Um, I found it interesting that very early on you said that God was angry at us. Why do you believe that? Where did that come from? I think it comes from an understanding of um, Genesis. It's not, it's not that um, God ceases to love us in his anger. So, see, if you just say on your podcast that, you know, the Presbyterian minister said God is angry at us and there's no kind of context for that, you're just going to sell people a complete, you know, birthy of... You know, like, you just you won't deliberately do it. I'm though, not going to do that. And you, you said it earlier, and now I'm asking you why you said it, so I'm giving yeah. you the opportunity to Well, I think if this has it. got to be short. Um, <laughs> God, how are you going to do this? Um, okay, so God, yeah, God is angry at humanity for rejecting him as, you know, the, the one who created all things. And um, we've, you know, the... the the garden story, the Adam and Eve story, however you kind of, whether you treat that as a, you know, a historical narrative or a, um, or, or a myth, as in this is really what happened, this is really who we are, but not necessarily exactly as it happened. I don't, I don't really know how to read it. But it, it seems to me that God is saying we've, God has said don't do this and we've said well, we want to be God. So we... Human beings in general play God. And I think that's what God is angry at and disturbed by. And Wait, right, How do we play God? Uh, because we run our lives according to our own, our, our own standards without him. Instead of, instead of um, recognising that he is the king, that he is the boss of life, we put a big cross through God and we... If, if God is represented as a crown, we whop a big cross through the crown or we take the crown off God's head, we put it on our own and we say, here's how life runs best when I'm in charge. And then, and then we wonder why the creator is angry at, his, um, at, the, at the beings that he breathed life into, that he gave an opportunity to flourish to, when we've said to God, I'll get lost. I think I know how to run this show better than you. And then there's wars and there's famines and there's disease and, and people are... Um, and, and death, death itself at that point entered the world. And so God is rightfully and righteously angry at so humanity say, that has um, turned their when back you say on. people say get lost to God, are they saying get lost to the Christian story? So you're saying... Well, that's the Hebrew story. That's not, that's not even... That's pre... Christian, that's, that's the Jewish origin story. That's what Genesis means, origins, and that's their story. Their story is that humanity has turned their back on God. Yeah. You said that God's angry with humanity and um, there's a reason for that anger and you're saying that the reason for that anger is that people have chosen to live life their own way without listening to him. And then you're saying, well, you said earlier that the people who receive the benefit from what Jesus has done and his sacrifice are the people who believe the story about why he died 
So God's angry with us, but if we, if we believe the story and say, yes, I'll accept that and I will ask for forgiveness, God's not angry with us anymore because we believe the story and say, yes, now I'm one of those people who have been forgiven because, because I trust in him, because I've asked for forgiveness. Yeah, so it's not because we believe the story. And then God's not angry with us anymore. That's not because we have we, we believe this thing. There's lots of people who simply don't believe it, not because they're against God, yeah, but because it it doesn't sound good to them. It's because they they don't have a reason to believe it. Yeah, sure. So is that enough reason for God to be angry with them because um, they don't agree or because their opinion is different? Um, if that was all there was to it, no, that wouldn't be enough reason. But and that anger leads to eternity in hell. Well, so, whatever that means, I don't know. But yes, but you know, like some sort of. Uh, it seems to me that it's a real, you know, yeah, real, real punishment of some sort. I don't um, for rejecting him, and so yeah, would um, I don't see. I think when you state it like that, I just think, well, that's that does make God look like a tyrant, the way you put it. And I don't think that that's... I'm trying to put it into simple terms. Yeah, but... Um, so, for uh, for ignoring God, so that means... So, yeah, I guess if he's the... If he's the if he's your creator and sustainer, and he has already told you, and he's already told... So, the, the Hebrew story is that, yeah, okay, so... Um, God had said, here's how you will flourish... Uh, live under me, but choose this way and you will surely die. So God's, God, I don't think God's been unfair at that point. He said, okay, so you're going to live under me or you're going to live above me? If you're going to live above me, then you'll surely die. You, you say God has said this, right? Yeah, to, sure. To yeah. people who believe the Bible is his word, mm. to pe- people who believe that the, uh, you know, the Israelites were his chosen people, to those people... That's God talking. To a lot of other people, that's not God talking. Yeah, totally understand so, that. So I think what you've got to work out is, do I believe the narrative? And if, if it's just a shrug and say, oh, no, it's just some kind of crazy old wives' tale that people tell themselves, then don't believe it. And you've got nothing to worry about because it's not true. Well, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, at one level, I believe it wholeheartedly, and so I'm going to try and convince you that it's true, and I know I can't do that. I know that's a God thing. That is the work of God. I just have to keep stating, I just keep stating what the scriptures say, and if if that ends up resonating with you, I'm just chuffed. I'm over the moon because I think it's true and real and right. But if it doesn't, at the end of the day, there's nothing I can do about it. And so, you know, think- for the person that doesn't end up believing it, it should, you know, why should they get their knickers in a knot? It should just say, oh well, it's silly Christians, silly Christians, silly Jewish story that I don't believe. And it means nothing to me. I, I don't, you know, like, why should that, why should me saying, it's kind of like the Israel Folau thing all over again, you know, why does it really worry um, people who don't believe there's a God anyway if they're going to hell? Because they're not going to hell because there is no God. But people get themselves so head up, get their knickers in a knot over things they don't even believe in. If you really don't believe that, just let it water off a duck's back, people. Just let it go. You know, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But if you but if you think this is true, then I think, from my perspective, who does who, I do believe it's true. I think praise praise the living God that 
you're going to be with him one day. You're going to be enjoying eternity with the living God on the new heavens and the new earth where, there, where peace will reign and it will be one great ride, yeah. one great life. Yeah. And I look forward to sharing that with you, Elliot, when <laughs> you give your life to Jesus. Thank you. Um, just to close off, you just said it's about believing the narrative and that's, I think that's really interesting because I think that really is central to what you've been saying. I mean, it really is um, believing the narrative. If you are a Christian, you believe the narrative and therefore you believe this is what Jesus was about. Um, what I'll be questioning in this podcast is what is Jesus about and does this narrative, is this narrative in keeping with what he taught? Christianity is basically the narrative that the church has given to the person of Jesus. There's no distinction made between that concept and the possibility of a Jesus, a man that lived back in the first century that might have been different to what the church is saying he was. So that's what this is going to be yeah. on about. And I think you've only got the historical documents before you, you know, that so that's what we're going on, you know. So I don't think it's the church, the church has made up this kind of meta-narrative that's just not true. I just think these are the, this is what... It's questionable. Yeah, it's, it, oh, sure, you can question it. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you do a plain reading of the New Testament, I don't think you're going to come up with too much different. Only if you believe it's God's word. Yeah, of course. If, but th then what you're saying is, um, I don't believe the documents are reliable, and that's okay. But what you're really saying is, I don't... So even if you were just to say, oh, here's some historical documents before us, and if you say, if you're, if, even if you, if you come at them not as a Christian, but you say, oh, yeah, well, okay, I think, I think there's enough evidence out there to say that these are reliable as they are, you're probably going to come up with the story that I just told you. And if you say they're not reliable documents, and I think there's some, some undercurrents of something else going on here, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull, up, pull apart all the bits that I don't think are right, well, you'll come up with a different story, of course. But You're using the word reliability there, yeah. but I think that's the wrong word. I think they're reliable as uh, historical documents. I think they are very well attested, but as documents... They were written by certain people who uh, were of a certain race, who had certain prejudices and who also had intention behind what they were saying. So um, it's not reliability, it's uh, assumptions about... Or is it the, credibility? Is that what you were saying? Well, it's assumptions about God's role in regards to the writing of these documents. That's yeah, what it comes yeah, down yeah. to. Well, as I said, um, as you'll find as you replay it, that, you know, I think internally you've got to at least say that whoever, whoever um, was writing the, those documents themselves believed that um, at least the Old Testament scriptures are God's word. And certainly um, if Jesus is being quoted right, he believed it. So the New Testament, I think, is probably a little bit different from Kettle of Fish. I think, you know, it's a bit, mm. it's a bit harder to see how... Uh, you, you, there, are, there are moments, there are moments where you could say... Uh, did, you know, I don't know, did Paul know that, you know, did, so from a Christian perspective, I could ask, did Paul know that he was writing scripture? Did, did Peter? Um, you know, there, there's only that little, there's only a few little one-liners in there that give the indication that somewhere along the line, maybe they thought that their writings were authoritative as apostles. There are moments, 
But you might wonder too, were they just writing letters to those churches addressing problems and never ever expecting them to be um, uh, copied and, and end up in the public sphere? Mm. Uh, for everyone, I don't know. I think you can mount a good case for it, but I, I think you could probably mount a case that they didn't as well. Yeah. They didn't know. Yeah, I can't imagine that they would have had that idea. Uh, Paul certainly does have that, that idea about himself. He seems to, you know, say I'm speaking on God's behalf here. You know, he seems to have the idea that he he had some sort of access to divine inspiration. Yeah, there were, yeah, that's right. You definitely say that in a few letters, uh, Corinthians in particular, I think. Yeah, yeah. a couple of places. But I, yeah. yeah, I, but I, yeah, I take it's God's word. But that's I'm mm. I'm yeah. convinced, yeah. I suppose. But I don't expect everyone else to. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad that you are very happy to agree to disagree, and it's okay. You know, you're good with that, and um, you know, you you try and convince people about what you believe, which is great. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this interview. I really appreciate it. It's been good. You know, I, I um, I'd love to um, obviously see you become, as in Paul's words, what I am. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know that, yeah. you know, you, from your perspective, that's highly unlikely. <laughs> well, I used, I used to be, you know, somebody who believed in Paul's message, yeah. Paul's um, gospel. I don't know what happened there, mate. I just, you know, I, I just saw too much difference between what he was saying and what Jesus was saying. Mm. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Tim, for taking the time to answer the questions. I, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Yeah. You've enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, I'm worn out, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've been here for it's quarter to three. Mm, I've got church then. So. Again? Mm. Yeah. Five o'clock. Really? So you want to get home and have a break before you come back, eh? Maybe. <laughs> Good one. Okay, thanks, Tim. Thank you.